Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are once again. It's time for Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley. This is the show that every week takes a look at these wonderful nonprofit organizations that either exist in or somehow benefit all of us who live, work, and play right here in our Snoqualmie Valley. My name is Jay Fisk. It's my pleasure to be your host every week. We're on Sunday evening at 5.30 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9. And we also stream live at valley1049.org. You can uh, tell your friends if you'd like to, if they'd like to listen or you'd like to listen when you're remote and maybe you're not in the valley, you can always go on the worldwide net to valley1049.org. Click the live stream button in the upper right-hand corner. You'll be all set anywhere in the world to listen to all of our programming here on valley1049.org. But tonight, we have we have some guests with us that are coming back second time. We're going to kind of get an, an update from them. There are a couple of gentlemen representing East West Food Rescue. And uh, we're going to find out what they have been doing uh, since we talked to them last, which was in November. Hopefully by now you have been vaccinated. Those around you have been vaccinated. uh, And uh, we're starting to get back into life with some semblance of uh, of normalcy. So that feels good. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, it's kind of nice to see people smile again. Everybody wearing masks reminds me of Wilson from Tool Time. You know, the, that all we saw was just the head sticking up above the fence. Uh, now uh, I was looked like everybody was was imitating Wilson, uh, but now we're seeing people again and seeing smiles again, and and that's a good thing. So it's exciting to be back back to some semblance of normalcy. I don't want to be overly exuberant about that. There are still some pockets of the world that uh, still need help, and we're going to reach out and help them. I know that uh, that we promised a half a billion doses of a vaccine for countries around the world, which is good. That's the Americans taking the lead and helping out wherever we can. Uh, domestically here, if you have friends or relatives that have not been vaccinated yet, unless they have a really good reason to not be vaccinated, uh, some objection either because of health reasons or religious reasons or something else. But if not, then please encourage them to get vaccinated because uh, we need that herd immunity. And we think we all like to stop staring at people through plexiglass. So let's get that herd immunity going. All right, with all that, let's dive right into uh, tonight's program. Back in November, we had the pleasure of meeting John Cunin and George A. Hearn, and they are with an organization that was actually born out of the pandemic. Uh, and we're going to ask them to kind of, you know, remind us again. Some of you maybe weren't tuned in last November, or maybe many of you weren't tuned in last November. So we're going to presume that uh, we should kind of start from the beginning. We're going to ask them how they got going, but it was kind of a unique way that they created and were part of the creation of East West Food Rescue. It's a wonderful service. We're going to learn all about it. I'm going to start by introducing John Cunin. He is the vice chair of the board. He is also the business development director, and he also uh, takes care of uh, the strategy for East West Food Rescue. And George Ahern, George is the board chair, and uh, he is also in charge of farmer relations. That should be a little hint in there as to what East West Food Rescue is all about. And he's also the uh, takes care of the, the food asks. So that being said, let me uh, let me bring them on and let you say uh, let let you listen to them say hello. So hello, George, and hello, John. Hi, Jay. Thanks Hi, Jay. Uh, for having us. I'd like, just like to say, John and I are fully vaccinated. So thanks for that. <laughs> I'm safe. Okay, I, can, I'll, I have I have my mask off for this interview, so we're we're, we're in good shape. John, uh, when last we talked, uh, you you took us through a little bit of a an overview of how East West uh, Food Rescue got started. Pretty unique. Uh, before you tell us how you got started, though, let's go to the let, let's kind of go to the end game. Here since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the food rescue, how many millions of tons of food? And I'm just throwing it out there as a joke, but how many tons of food 
has East West Food Rescue rescued? Sure. No, Jay, thank, thanks. Uh, no, that's a great question. And so um, if you think about it, uh, East West Food Rescue celebrated um, our first anniversary in May. And at that point, we had moved 54.2 million pounds of food. Wow. And so that that translates to about 40 million, 43 million meals. Wow. And so that's a lot of food and it's fresh food. It's again, predominantly fresh produce, uh, dairy and meat. Amazing. And uh, the reason, and you've, you, you say you've been produced it, but you've delivered it uh, and you've delivered it through food banks or where do you deliver it through? Correct. And so what we did is we worked last year and, and into this year with over um, 700 different food agencies. And so these may be your traditional food bank, but it was very interesting, Jay, with the pandemic because there were a lot of other organizations that got involved in food rescue really at a grassroots level to work with us. There were a lot of churches, there were a lot of nonprofits um, that are not normally in the food business, and tribes that realized they needed to help out the, their community. And so through all of this group, 700 different food agencies spread over 19 different states wow. we work with. So let's let's define for the folks that the title almost sounds self-explanatory, but uh, help us understand what does the term food rescue mean? When you say food rescue, lay that out for us. So I, mean, I think in, in an instant term, it, it's around food relief. And, and it started from, and Jordan will tell the story about how we began in just a minute, but first of what we were doing in the original finding of East West Food Rescue is realizing that there was a lot of waste um, and especially with the pandemic, there was a crisis situation with a lot of produce that was about to be plowed under. And so part of our concept is realizing that um, oftentimes there's an oversupply of food, particularly with produce and an opportunity to get it before it goes bad and to bring it uh, forth to those who are hungry. And it's about sort of bridging that gap between excess supply of food and excess demand of hunger. And that was, uh, you know, incredibly elevated during the pandemic. So what you're talking about really is not a shortage of food, but a shortage of distribution of the food. The food exists, but can you get it to the people that need it? That was the that was the the missing link. No, absolutely, absolutely. And and so uh, and it made it made it was made worse by the pandemic because a lot of the traditional distribution channels weren't weren't there. I, I should say destination channels weren't there. People uh, weren't going to restaurants, so restaurants weren't needing the food. Therefore, the food was being produced in anticipation of it ending up in restaurants. But since the restaurants were closed, the food uh, was all were all dressed up and no place to go. Yeah, and Jay, that's that's how this story was born out of that frustration. And I knew I could help to connect the dots. Um, the farmers' contracts were being canceled. Unfortunately, their you know their their produce can sometimes show all the way up to your local Safeway. And Safeway just reject it right there at the door yeah. for any reason, and the food just get canceled or you know just just returned to the farmer. But basically, I had friends and neighbors over here in Western Washington who were struggling at the beginning of the pandemic, and I had friends in Eastern Washington who were farming and were about to plow their crops into the, back into the soil or literally dump them in landfills because it was cheaper than to try to find a new distribution chain oh. just because they grow the food didn't mean that they necessarily had a place to go outside of packing houses or, or large larger uh, dis 
distribution sites, but they were backed up with food as well. So we reached out to the farmers and um, remember if they heard the story in the past, I was literally looking for 2000 pounds of food and a truck to borrow to go get it. And what I thought flood the market or flood a region with with potatoes and onions, 2000 pounds, I thought that's huge amount. And we came back that first day with uh, May 1st, uh, 9.36 tons. Wow. And that's May 1st, 2020. And it just grew and grew and grew. Pretty soon we were doing 100,000 pounds. If we weren't breaking 100,000 pounds, we felt it like it was a bad week. And uh, we were doing that week after week with these large convoys, 20, 30 vehicle convoys, private vehicles. Uh, the first uh, potato farmer I called asked me, how many trucks you got? And I said, four. And he said, okay, I can give you uh, 160,000 pounds. I said, wait, wait, wait four Chevys and Fords, not <laughs> semi trucks, you know? Right. And he's like, oh, well, just come get what you, you got, you know, take what you, you okay. know, you can take whatever you want. So let me stop you right there because what I'm envisioning in my mind is that there are several levels to this. One level is the farmers six months earlier planted expecting to harvest and have a distribution channel. When the pandemic hit, the distribution channel drew, you know, dried up. Problem number one. Problem number two is if you have a surplus of anything, the value goes down. And so yep. the little bit that the farmers were able to sell were selling way below what they should be selling for. So not only were they not where they're not able to sell what they had, they were selling what they had at much at a much reduced cost. So it's a double loss. They're 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 not selling inventory. I call it inventory or production. They're also not getting per pound or per per unit what they would normally get. So it's a lose lose. So part of what you did with East West Food Rescue is you sort of solved three problems. You you uh, you dec- you decreased uh, the waste. You provided that waste to people that needed it, and you helped sustain the value for the farmer. Would that be safe to that, say that those, those were the three? Maybe there were other areas that, where you helped as well, but those are the three that I, I just visualized. You are tracking our story very well. Um, and the the only fourth leg that I would add to that is we did what we could by paying the farmer their cost, if possible, of what was called the pick and pack out price to then incentivize them to plant more. Because I've said it many times, the scariest thing I ever heard was a large potato farmer in Grant County saying he was going to plant 40% less acreage next year, which to me would suggest that your 89 cent russet potato and Fred Meyer is going to go up to $1.89 next year. And when the when the restaurants were wanting to open, the demand was going to be so large that it would disincentivize people to go out and go out and eat because the costs had gone up so much. Yeah. Were the, were the restaurants, uh, yeah, and John, I'll, I know you've got a question, but were, were the restaurants the biggest non-purchaser of potatoes or or was there another outlet that was also uh, restricted because of the pandemic? I would have to say, just off the top of my head, that it was really the the lost revenue in restaurants. When if one restaurant closes in a town for whatever reason, that's you know it, it, everyone else survives. But when they all close, there's there's no movement in that whole distribution yeah. cycle. It's complete monkey wrench thrown into the works. John, jump in. I'll jump. I'll jump in. I mean, I think to um, a lesser extent, you had issues with cruise ships that weren't buying anymore. You had issues with schools that were closed, and you had some interesting things with trade that was occurring and being blocked with China at the at the, at the same time. So it was sort of a double whammy on that front. But I'll go back to your other comment in terms of waste. I would say, when you envision this food, though, 
this is pretty high quality food. I mean, this is surplus and excess. Um, and so it's still in, in very good, very good condition. And even today, when we're going out and getting excess or, or surplus, you know, this is grade one, grade A quality produce. And some of it may not be cosmetically beautiful, so that sometimes the farmers can't sell that in, in the retail sector. Other times we're moving this so quickly from the farmer to the food agency that it's not sitting with a wholesaler. It's not sitting with the retailer. And I've been at food drive events where the, you know, the asparagus, the lettuce is just incredibly fresh, um, you know, better than you're sometimes seeing in grocery stores. So it's, um, it's an interest, it's an interesting pathway. We bought, we gave away milk that was bottled the day before, oh. just for our giveaway, just for our giveaway. Oh. Incredibly fresh. John's right. Grade one restaurant quality food was coming through. All right, I want to take a quick break here. When we come back, I want to hear about how you've expanded from potatoes. I just heard, uh, I just heard milk. I know at some point you you were doing eggs and all kinds of other things, and I, uh, probably a lot's changed since November. So when we come back after our quick break, I want to learn more about how you've expanded not only the the offering or the rescuing, if you will, the 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 foods that you're rescuing but also how you've expanded your territory. Because initially, this was pretty much Eastern Washington to Western Washington. And I know you've gone well beyond that. And then I want to talk a little bit about the organizations that you pulled in as part of your network. Okay, so those are those are coming up right after our break. We're, with, uh, we're listening to George Ahern and John Kunin. They're with East West Food Rescue, incredible organization born out of the pandemic. We're going to find out uh, a little bit more about their story and their expansion over the last year uh, when we get back. But uh, we want to remind you, you're listening to Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley. This is the show that every week brings you the stories of the nonprofit organizations that either exist in or support all of us who live, work, and play right here in our fabulous Snoqualmie Valley. And uh, we're going to learn more about East West Food Rescue right after these messages. Join us for Northwest Phenomenon Sunday nights at 7 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9 as we cover topics from paranormal activity, conspiracy theories, and more. If you have a story you would like to share, email me, mario at northwestphenomenon.com. We'll see you Sunday nights at 7 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9. Northwest Phenomenon. Have you ever wanted to work in radio but weren't sure how to get started? Or maybe you're someone looking to take on some community-focused volunteer work. Either way, have we got a deal for you. Valley 104.9 is 100% volunteer staffed and operated, and we're always looking for new volunteers. In addition to on-air hosts and specialty programmers, we're looking for people interested in broadcast engineering, local events reporting, or fundraising. As an example, we want to do more live broadcasts of local music, but we need more folks to help make it happen. If you'd like to help, please go to www.valley1049.org, click on the volunteering link, and complete the short web form. Come join us. Okay, we are back. Welcome back to Keeping Back and Giving Back in the Valley. We are the show that every week tries to bring you a story about one of these terrific nonprofit organizations that help all of us who live, work, and play right here in our Snoqualmie Valley. My name is Jay Fisk. It's my pleasure to be your host each and every week. We're on Sunday evening at 5.30 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9. And then we do a little bit of a, an instant replay on Monday night at 6.30 here on Valley 104.9 FM. You can also listen to us worldwide web going to valley1049.org, valley1049.org. Tell your friends. 
share us on your social media. But right now, we want to get a little deeper dive into the East West Food Rescue Organization. It is a little over a year old. They just had their one-year anniversary. And in one year, they've done some amazing things. We're talking to George Ahern. He's the board chair and also in charge of food acquisition and farmer relations. And we're talking as well with John Cunin. He's the vice chair of their board, and he's in charge of business development and uh, and strategy. And uh, George and, and John, right before we went to the break, I asked you to talk a little bit about uh, the variety of foods or services or whatever you rescue, how's that's expanded? I know you started with potatoes and onions, uh, pretty logical, but uh, where have you gone from there? Well, we're very excited to say that we've been able to get into the meat arena. And whenever you talk about food security, meat are um, it's kind of, meats are meat is king. You know, fresh meats. It's it's hard to get. It's hard to move. There's so many different uh, logistical issues with it. But we're um, we were able to move some frozen chicken thanks through some partnerships. Uh, and also some uh, USDA ground pork. And very shortly here, I'm hoping within this next week or, or two, we'll be able to close on about four and a half tons of USDA ground beef, uh, what I would consider prime prime beef. But instead of doing steaks and roasts and whatnot, we're just uh, making it all ground beef um, so that we can impact as many households as possible uh, with that. And um, the, the nice thing about that story is that was born out of the East West Food Rescue during the fires in Eastern Washington. We made a quick decision to pivot and deliver hay to ranchers over in near OMAC in Lincoln County. And because of that effort, uh, which was quite the undertaking to deliver hay by private vehicles, <laughs> um, because, because of that effort, the ranchers are willing to look at us first when calling their herd, so to speak, and um, giving us healthy cows to help provide food for uh, for the insecure. So food this, insecure. this tells me that your guys are not going out of business just because the pandemic is ending. Right. We, we, we always knew that there was a need pre-pandemic, and we always knew that there was waste. It's just this really exposed the wound to the inefficiencies in the system throughout, uh, not only uh, receiving food, but giving food and really increase the need for first-time food recipients. The the amount, uh, there's always going to be a glut in the system. And we've we've been very fortunate to move food, you know, as far away from as California, uh, leeks and Brussels sprouts and spinach and all, all, all sorts of different things. Um, How many different varieties of food do you oh boy. have on, on, in your list right now? Yeah, so I had to go through this data. Um, I would say there were about, about 72 different stock keeping items that really? we had. So quite quite a lot that we, that we, that we track. You know, and it was an interesting story, Jay. So when we were in the potato and onion time period, one of the things that we had to do is develop infrastructure. And what we did in the late summer and into the fall was fundraise to get up to working with our main distribution partner at the time in Woodenville is to get five refrigerated trailers. And we, we worked in an open air um, field um, to, to operate. And as a result, then that enabled us to diversify and bring in more perishable um, items that were in high demand. And then, you know, there's a seasonality 
variety of it. George did his magic trick to be able to get watermelon. We would have gleaning events uh, where we would pick blueberries. Food Bank Farm in the Snohomish area, which is um, very generous, provided beets to us. And they're, they're a farm that's just designed to help support food banks, and, do, and they do great work. Um, so you're picking up produce here in Western Washington. Are you delivering Are you delivering anything to Eastern Washington? Because it all started from Eastern Washington coming west. What do you have going east? So, you know, it's interesting. We try to do, try to keep things local if we can, or keep food systems more local. So if there are farms in Eastern Washington, and then we can try to keep it there, um, that's great. That's not easy. That's not as so easily done. Um, but there were 19 counties that we served. Um, you know, a lot of them in sort of the Spokane Valley area to the east and parts around um, the Yakima. Yakima County and really up and down sort of Western Washington is where we had a footprint uh, last year in Washington. Now you've expanded outside of the state of Washington, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we did hit last year, we hit a total of 19 different states. About 85% of that were sort of in the Western states of Washington, California, Arizona, and Oregon. What also helped in the late summer and early fall um, is is the USDA got involved and they were very helpful as they saw the opportunity as well to assist and buy surplus and help farmers and to help this need around the food insecure. You know, as food insecurity, and we talked about this uh, last time, Jay had doubled to, to 25%. And so a lot of our operations focus on using the USDA boxes outside of the state and working with vendors and working with a lot of local organizations in those states, whether it's food banks, again, faith-based organizations and other nonprofits to deliver those. You know, uh, once upon a time, uh, I had a, an auction client that did an, that did, uh, an event uh, every year around the country, various different locations called Taste of the Nation. And uh, they ultimately became uh, No Kid Hungry. Do, are you, uh, you're probably familiar with them. Have, have you tied in with, uh, with No Kid Hungry? They're a national organization that they, they recognize distribution is what it's all about. It's see, you know, getting kids to have good meals in the schools isn't so much about having the ability to get the food, it's ability to get the food to the schools, to get the food to the kids right. and to, the, to, yeah. to them. So they're, you know, you did on a local basis and so now you're now you're expanding. Are there any other national organizations that you affiliate with right now to help grow uh, grow this uh, this whole network? You know, we, we, we coord, you know, we, we coordinate with other groups to get similar ideas. So for example, there was a group out of California that was started by a series of college students called the Farm Link, and we shared a lot of best practices. Uh, there's a great group out of Los Angeles called Forward, Food Forward that has a very interesting recovery network in the LA area to compare. Um, but we found that a lot of operation opportunities to coordinate with partners were right, really right in our own backyard. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the outlets. Uh, you know, you, you talked a little about where you get the where you get the, the surplus. Okay, how do we get it to the end people? How do we get it to the user to a user the consumer um well uh that's that's a really great question because we're we're not the group that specializes in handing it to the consumer uh we tried that route but that's that has its own logistical challenges so what we've done is created what we call mini distribution points basically the, our biggest strength is our fluidity and able to work with larger and smaller organizations and both uh, receive and give between those organizations so for instance um, emergency food network is able to take on let's just say 16,000 pounds of frozen chicken breasts but we know of certain groups that 
we want to also offer that chicken breast too that are small organizations that they may not be able to work with. So we'll say, can you carve out X pounds for, you know, these, these groups? Um, but we also then work with groups that give directly to the people that are rather large, like uh, Lend a Hand and Praise Alleluia. Um, and uh, so we supply them with foods and, and they're organized enough that they have trucking and forklifts at the ready. So we have to make sure that we work with groups who can grab it and distribute it immediately because of the refrigeration needs, et cetera, or have their own refrigeration needs. So there's this narrow band that folks that we found that have those criteria that we can then give to and feel uh, safe that, you know, that the food will be stored within 24 hours under refrigeration and then immediately distributed or sometimes just delivered and distributed that day. Har Harvest Against Hunger has been a huge, huge partner for us um, with transportation. Their, their whole, they said that they started kind of out like us, but they realized the logistical nightmare, and maybe I should listen to that, but they uh, focused just on the trucking end and 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 using trucks that are so-called deadheading driving empty over the mountains where's your where's your biggest challenge is it filling the pipeline or emptying it oh i i stopped asking um how much food you know or is this too much food a long time ago um if, if we get the food it will be gone between the groups and organizations we work with it will be gone we we have little trouble doing that i've even I've even given too much to a group and they, they call me right back and say, George, I, I thought I could handle, you know, 30,000 pounds. We gave away 10 and nobody wants a potato anymore. So it was like, okay, I'm going to have this group pick it up from you and, and they'll move it down the road. It's transportation. And to be quite honest with you, it's funding. We, we pay about 10 cents a pound, which is basically the farmers giving it away for free as far as I'm concerned. But even at 10 cents a pound, you know, the, the money moves quickly. So let's talk about you're talking. Let's talk about funding. Okay. John, tell me about how you, you know, how do you get your, how do you get your funding? You know, it, it, Jay, last year was from a variety of different sources. You know, there was a lot of support. We had um, about 2,500 different donors, you know, and there was a lot of emotional support as people, you know, saw this explosion in food insecurity. Yeah. And if you think about the news and, and looking at these food drives, on, you know, on national news that would snake around forever because food insecurity had doubled to one out of four Americans so that, you know, there was some good support in that. We were very fortunate to get a lot of good publicity last year. If you think George is good on radio, he looks even better on TV. Uh, he was on a, he was on a couple of different shows with the Rachel Ray show uh, in the U.S. USA Today, and we were in the Seattle Times, and that helped out. Um, we had a number of other organizations um, that supported us um, corporately. First Tech is a very innovative bank in the um, Portland and. Um, east side of Seattle that was very supportive. And we received a number of grants uh, from a lot of the local governments because they could see that, you know, in their backyard, this was a way to help support yeah. food, food insecurity. But right now this, you know, this is this is our one biggest challenge. We again, really need support. Oh, yeah, we, we, I, I wish we had more time. I wish it was, a, this is the one time I wish I had an hour show instead of a half hour show. We got to wrap it up. Uh, if somebody wanted to write a check or help you out in any way, shape or form, a lot of people 
people listening work for these big uh, companies that have matching gifts, that sort of thing. How does somebody reach out to you to help support you financially, website or other? The website probably the best way. Again, eastwestfoodrescue.org, um, eastwestfoodrescue.org. And you can donate right through that. On There's a donate button. And at the bottom of the page, if you like to write out a check or if you have a donor advised fund, our address is right on the bottom of the page. That's the simplest thing to do. And we are a 501c3, so your donation will be tax deductible. Have you tied in with any of the, the companies uh, that uh, you know share a part of their of their uh, proceeds where you can designate, you know, like for example, you shop at Target and you have a percentage of that go to uh, their favorite charity. Have you linked in with any of those sorts of things? We do. We have some things through Amazon Smile yeah. um, and, and, and and Fred Meyer. So yes. And Perfect. so most of, the, most of the corporate matching gifts. So each- um, you know, are in play. I'll just add this thing if I if I can. I mean, yeah. I think the the investment is very good. If you look at this on average, because we're able to procure food on average, and last year you know, we average about ten cents a pound. And so, what does that translate? So, a hundred dollar donation, you know, r- would result in about eight. Um, would result in about a thousand pounds of food. And so that translates to 800 meals. And so in other words, you could feed a family of four for two months of healthy meals, not just sort of pantry foods with a hundred dollar donation. Wow. So, you know, so if you're listening tonight, I hope you'll consider a donation, maybe, you know, for Valley 104.9, you know, a donation of $104.90. I like the way you, I like the way you think. Wow. Six months ago, I asked you if you'd come back and do an update. I'm glad you did. Can we do another one around Thanksgiving? Let's, let's do it. Let's do it again around Thanksgiving. I love what you guys are doing. I love the, certainly love the the innovation, the initiative, the dedication. Uh, It's terrific. This is what it's all about is giving to others. It's what the show's all about is talking about people like you that do these wonderful things. I wish we didn't have to wrap it up. We do. I'd like to thank you, George Ahern. Thank you so much, George, for helping us out tonight uh, by telling us your story. And John Cunin, thank you as well for all you both do and all of your uh, all of your staff and volunteers. I don't know how big your staff is or how many volunteers you have, but I know for sure it can't be done by two people. Probably, <laughs> a lot, probably have a, a lot of support behind you. But uh, thanks so much for, for your giving back to those in need. Wow, we just ran out of time. We'll do it again next week with another great organization that's helping all of us who live, work, and play right here in our wonderful Snoqualmie Valley here on Keeping Track of Giving Back. If you have an idea for a show, please write out to me, jay at valley1049.org. If you'd like to make a donation to East West Food Rescue, do it on their website, eastwestfoodrescue.org. And if you forget that, just send me an email and I'll be happy to connect you to to George and John. And if you'd like to be a volunteer in some other way, perhaps as a supplier, or if you have a a need for distribution, you need to contact them in any way, reach right out to me at jay A-Y at valley1049.org. I'll connect you to both George and John. And guys, we'll see you in six months. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.